Hi everyone, I'm Duncan. And I'm Lyle. And we're here to tell you about the Acast supporter feature. If you enjoy this podcast and fancy going one step further in supporting the QLC, hit the link in the show description to find out more. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. What's not to like? Thank you so much, everyone. And enjoy this episode. The Quarter Life Chronicles With Duncan and Lyle Hello, 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 hello And welcome back to the Quarter Life Chronicles We're back with episode 10 We've made it, what a milestone Dunks, what a milestone 10 <laughs> episodes, it's really quite something isn't it How are you feeling, how has your week been so far Dunks? Oh I mean firstly 10 episodes, you know we've done alright haven't we mate We've done alright here it's going I'm okay. very happy. I'm very happy. No, with that. no one's. We've it. had no. We've had no critical mail. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm good, man. Um, it's that time of year, isn't it? It's that time of year where the football season is is drawing to a very abrupt end, and all of a sudden mm. there's these massive games that are all in the space of about a week. So I'm a little bit nervous. But then, of course, the Euros are following, so it's we just were, never ending at the moment. We've spoken about <laughs> this, haven't we? We have spoken about this. Um, my wonderful fiance, who you may have heard on the previous episode, the lovely Alice Davis, asked me very sweetly. When's the football done the other day? When is the football just going to be over and done? And I said, well, to be honest, never. Because we've got the end of the Premier League this weekend. Then we've got some big European games next week. And then just when you think it would normally be done, we've got the Euros, like you say, to look forward to. And then everything restarts again in August. So it's just going to be one big festival of football. I can't wait. You know that you're driving your partner mad when your partner starts doing that song just because it's in her head all the time. The one that goes, I'll never stop this for I'll never let you go. Bex has just started singing it because it's just, it's all she's hearing. Some huge sorry, sorry, sorry to all those who are suffering. Uh, how, how's your week been, Law? How are you doing? You're right. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's been a, it's been a really, really good week, actually. The weather, as we always seem to mention, has been absolutely all over the place. And we actually mentioned the weather a little bit in the episode you're about to hear. Uh, and I've been doing a few bits and yeah. pieces, some nice little bits of work coming in, which is fabulous. But obviously, what I look forward to every week, and that's not me just saying it. Well, it kind of is. But, you know, it's what I look forward to every week is recording, editing and then releasing our wonderful podcast, which leads me nicely on dunks to you oh, introducing our fabulous guest for this week because it was an amazing chat wasn't it could you tell us a little bit more about who we've been speaking to this week for sure yeah this week we spoke to the wonderful bengi sue shirin who is a friend of my girlfriend and uh, we got involved and got chatting to her um about whether she'd come on and we were so happy that she did because bengi is a member of the deaf community uh, and we managed to have a wonderful chat with her and it was a real eye-opener for both of us i think because Often these these people who have sensory disability like deafness or blindness or whatever don't I don't think get talked about enough and the there's not enough awareness out there about how difficult it is in particularly this modern world we're in now to navigate when when you have those conditions and she was so honest so articulate so intelligent and I think even if you know something already or know nothing you will take something away from this conversation and yeah I'm sure you'll agree with me Lyle it was a real treat and a real uh, a real learning experience for all of us I think. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. She was absolutely amazing. So articulate. And I learned so much from this conversation. It's an experience and a discussion I never really gave much thought to and let much time to. And I never really thought I'd actually engage in in my life. But I'm so, so pleased that I was able to be a part of the conversation with the amazing Bengi Sue. So without further ado, listeners to the Court of Life Chronicles, please enjoy the absolutely wonderful Bengi Sue Sheeran here on episode 10 and we'll be back very soon. 
see you on the other side. Take care. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome, Bengi, to our beautiful podcast. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hello, thanks for having me. How are you guys? Yeah, yeah. very well. Thank you very well. Very, good. very well. Good. And lovely to meet you, Bengi. Lovely to meet you as well. And I echo what Dunk said. Lovely to have you on. To offer some context, offer some context, Bengi is a friend of my girlfriend, Becky, and they currently are working together. And we happened to have a little chat the other day about, oh, who would be uh, a good guest for this podcast? And Becky was like, well, I'm working with this girl, Bengi, and she is she is Maddie fan. So we need to get her onto the podcast. And here we are. Shout out to Becky. Yeah, big up. Pre- <laughs> previous guest, previous guest, big ups. So as you know, Bengi, you have stumbled into the Quarter Life Chronicles, the podcast, in fact, the only podcast that really gets to the core of the enigma in life that is the quarter-life crisis. To kick things off, for you, Bengi, what do you associate with the phrase the quarter-life crisis? What does it mean to you? Hmm, well, apologies if this is a little bit bleak, but um, <laughs> for me, I guess it's the feeling that I've kind of closed off a lot of options and I'm running out of them, you know, like that thought of like, oh, I could have done that, but I stopped doing it. For example, like I used to do a lot of dancing and then at 18, I decided not to pursue it. And I went and did English at uni instead. And now I feel like as a 26 year old, I can't really be a dancer anymore. Equally, I've made other choices that have closed off paths. And when I have weeks where I'm feeling particularly low self-esteem, I feel like I have no option. But the whole thing of the quarter-life crisis for me is that it's not always low. I just fluctuate between feeling good about myself and then feeling low. You know, it's it's just never being quite... I'm not stable yet, I guess mm. that's the essence. And I think seeing people around me, the older we get, becoming stable and becoming more settled. I'm definitely the type to compare myself to people. And I can't help but like look back and be like, oh, if only I'd stuck with something I did as a young'un. <laughs> I realised the other day, I'm 26, and I'm not going to be able to retire till I'm, what, like, 66. So I've got at least 40 years of work left. And that's, <laughs> that's older than I am, having lived, let alone worked, you know? So yeah, 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 yeah. I, I do want to em- emphasise that even though my quarter-life crisis take is bleak, it's not all bleak. There are moments <laughs> of sunshine. <laughs> through the clouds <laughs> oh look at that a nice weather analogy we're definitely a british podcast folks <laughs> there it is for the listeners as well uh, much as this is an audio medium bengi just showed us a rather beautiful image of the glorious outdoors which uh, considering when this will be released the i imagine sun came I, through the clouds i mean so, I it. <laughs> just as a just as a segue we're recording on a couple of days where the weather has been absolutely <laughs> mental like, i was doing a job yesterday and I was teaching some kids and during the one session, maybe like 10 minutes of the session, it rained, it hailed, it mildly snowed and the sun came out. What's going on, folks? What's going on? This, that's think, a, that's quarter life crisis in weather form. Exactly, it's pathetic fallacy. As an English grad, that is pathetic fallacy in action. I love that phrase as well. I use that phrase. I went through a period, this is a really random tangent, but I'm so pleased you said that. I went through a period of about four or five years where that's all I seem to remember, not just from English, but just school. Like, <laughs> nothing else from school. I forgot how to add up. 
I forgot where countries were. I forgot what science was. But I just remembered that phrase, pathetic fallacy. I was like, it's windy outside. Well, I like think... It's windy in life, eh? Pathetic fallacy. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> that's say? actually quite deep because, like, when we're, when we're at school and teenagers and stuff, we're at our, like, most extremist insecure, right? And we're impacted by things around us, which is kind of what pathetic fallacy sort of is, like reading everything as a kind of assault on your feelings. And I feel like that's quite, like, where I'm at with my quarter-life crisis, as it were, like, because I'm still feeling quite insecure professionally and stuff, I'm still interpreting things negatively when perhaps if I was more stable I wouldn't be you know yeah yeah no and I think it's because I was going to do one of my really awful classic Lyle segues from like how (laughs) random the weather's been into what you said about your core life crisis but you've actually just taken the words right out of my mouth in a brilliant brilliant way this idea that you know the weather can change as quickly as our outlook on life can change Mm. and we draw on so many different sort of outside Mm. stimuli in terms of how we look at our life and and how we respond to these things that are happening in real time. Mm. You mentioned about dancing. I thought that was really interesting because normally we ask what moment really generated your court life crisis? Did it stem from one moment or was it a period of time? Where are you at with it? Have you left it? Are you approaching it? That's what I'd ask you is, was was it the dancing? Was it a period of time? What? How did it manifest and where are you at with it? Well, even though the dancing, I guess, is part of the fact that I've taken such a long time to kind of realise what I wanted to do professionally, it's, it's not really part of said crisis for me Uh, I guess for me it's definitely to do with the fact that I'm a young deaf woman and it's taken me such a long time to come to terms with and accept and embrace that for a number of reasons and it's only been the last couple of years that I've realized that that's where I really do want to go professionally having tried so many other starts of paths and then backed away I've realised, like, yes, I do want to work with the deaf community and I want to embrace that part of my identity that I've hidden behind my thick Turkish hair for so long. (laughs) And I guess I'm kind of within the rut now. I'm kind of in the process of trying to get a job in the sector and I've only recently realised that I want to to work in it and taken me such a long time to come to terms with my own self as so well. So I, I guess um, I don't obviously I don't want to speak for you, but I guess to, to put it in a in a crisis kind of caption, it's like you potentially it was a sort of perhaps a long f- form of crisis where you just weren't fully coming back to yourself and thinking this is where where I'm going here can potentially just start with me rather than thinking mm. about all the avenues that could be possible. Let's just look at my value and my worth and what actually I have to offer. And you found a strength in something that maybe you thought was a weakness mm-hmm. and have now developed it into an idea for a career, which is an amazing achievement for because for a lot of people, it's really hard to see perhaps your weaknesses as your biggest strengths at the same time. But in a sense, you have. You've, you've found something that you're now going to turn into a positive outlet and helping other people. So. There's oh, a thank you. there's a cri- there's a crisis that you are fully out on. I think I think already. Oh, perhaps. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's that's totally it. Like it's definitely been something I've regarded as a weakness for pretty much my whole life, and it's only been since I've become more involved with the deaf community. I've 
started sign language lessons for the first time. I've been volunteering for the National Deaf Children Society, the NDCS, who are a really brilliant charity, and becoming involved with them and delivering short presentations to families of like newly diagnosed deaf children kind of reassuring them like it's okay your child will be okay um has been really validating and affirming in ways that other professional ideas I've had haven't really um Mm. and I it's just become clearer and clearer to me that's what I want to do and I guess I am sort of in a rut even though I've had the revelation I haven't really got all the experience professionally that I can just walk into a job I'm kind of in the process of applying and as people who are listening may know it can be really depressing like <laughs> applying for jobs when oh, yeah. <laughs> you're kind of just bullshitting a little bit of what you've done you know well no, you, you, you add you add some nice flowery toppings to what you've done <laughs> you know you say you yeah know, I worked in a intensive care unit but actually you didn't you just worked in a hospital you know, <laughs> wait, waiting room reception but you just add a little bit of flour to that you know <laughs> got a bit of a story about uh, about applying for jobs it's, it's really really short so I, I was literally sat on my laptop a couple of weeks ago and it was maybe half past eight in the morning and I got an email through from a job that I'd applied for because the last 18 months even though acting still very much my passion and I love it speaking to previous guests on this podcast I was inspired to sort of you know explore other avenues and so I got an email at half past eight saying thanks so much for your application but we're looking at you know other options but you know we wish you the best luck in your search all that crap that you just get when it's like sort of the stock nice email that's supposed to encourage you at at least you got a response most of the time in in the acting world you don't get a response well I found I found looking in that market is a lot more rewarding (laughs) in terms of the no's that acting has ever been for me but that got that email I was like oh you know whatever and I'm still sat on my laptop four minutes later I get another rejection from a job I'd forgotten I'd applied for and I was like oh this is a nice range I was like I kind of wanted that one and that's a shame oh forgot I applied for that okay so that kind of puts things into perspective for me that's really <laughs> which segues nicely don't think I was going to get away without a segue it segues nicely into this idea of perspective because we spoke on a lot about perspective with guests before on the pod so far this series how has your perspective changed since the sort of maybe the start of your quarter life period Mm. to now considering what you've decided to do I've noticed that my self-esteem has boosted since I've embraced my deaf identity a lot more I've been talking about my disability much more openly in the last couple of years since I met other deaf people which is something I never really did as a kid I grew up in a town where I was the only deaf person in the school and the only person with an odd non-English name and it was difficult being so sort of marked (laughs) and so I just hid in lots of ways. I guess just becoming more involved within communities has encouraged me to see myself more as part of a community and value myself and be proud of like what I have managed to do even if I compare myself to other people and think oh I haven't managed to do as many things as other people well I've managed to get through being a teenager that is was very like hedonistic and 
fun with two expensive electronic devices in my ears you know Mm. um which I lost several times (laughs) dropped down a toilet drunk a couple of times (laughs) lost at festivals all sorts yeah and managed to kind of steer myself through those crises but now I'm kind of proud of myself for that you obviously you said you've talked about this rut you've been in even if like you are sort of coming out the other end of it and this professional sort of how exciting and we're going to touch on that in a second as well the exciting things you're looking at professionally and everything you've been up to but I think it is if I may say so having just met you this evening it's so not just valuable but it's so right and just that you do look back on everything that you've been through and everything you've done up to this point considering where you are now with just a human like an immense sense of pride because you know, you talk so candidly and brilliantly about, you know, going to festivals and dropping these pieces of equipment down the toilet. And like, <laughs> it's so hard to, like, I can't even begin to imagine how I might speak so freely and with such humour about something that must have had such an impact on your life for so long. And for you to finally be able to, in a brilliant way, discuss it and express yourself so Aww. eloquently and so brilliantly is a really really amazing thing so I just applaud you for that and it was it was a brilliant answer so so thank you so Aww, much. thank you I think a huge part of it is solely from meeting other young deaf people being able to have very candid and comical conversations about these sorts of things you know like when I started dating my boyfriend I asked my young deaf friend like oh so when you first have sex do you like to do you keep them in or do you take them out and I never asked someone that before like all my friends are hearing you know and then to meet someone else that I can talk to about like the awkward whistling sound that a hearing aid makes when someone puts their hand on your head or like (laughs) you know how to even broach the conversation and like oh I'm, I'm deaf you know which I've not always done with romantic liaisons in the past sometimes I haven't even mentioned it at all it's been really great and fun and actually the other young deaf people that I've met I've made two really great young deaf female friends in the last couple of years and they say similar things that they've never had those sorts of conversations yeah I think it's quite like it's a lot less deaf people than you than you think are in grow up in deaf communities where it's so normalized really like a large proportion of deaf people have hearing parents and it's just completely out of the blue or it's skipped lots of generations so um, my experience is, isn't unique at all lots of people grew up feeling quite alienated and yeah I guess going back to the perspective aspect of the question I guess it's made me feel like a lot of my teenage or young adult experiences weren't that like weird or odd other people were having them too (laughs) love it I'm very much enjoying the description of a certain phenomenon you (laughs) talking about just then as a romantic liaison I think that might be the first time I've ever (laughs) or not ever but recently I've heard it I'm very much enjoying that that's that's very that's very that's very Wuthering Heights that (laughs) (laughs) it's very very good oh I'm so lame (laughs) not at all it's exactly the sort of thing Uh, you ask anyone I work with it's like why is it three words instead of one line why are you calling a table (laughs) a parallel supportive device a chagrin (laughs) that's that's, that's your latest word the chagrin oh, the chagrin much Which, the chagrin yes. of I, I everyone mean, I've listening never heard podcast. anyone say that you're listening to the quarter life chronicles with Duncan and Lyle. 
so Bengi, we've already touched on it a little bit. And thank you so much, firstly, for uh, being here to touch on it. Because I know that um, a lot of people uh, who are listening today, A, might not know too much about this subject. And if they do, or they're directly associated with it, this might be a really, really interesting uh, chat for them to hear, I suppose. Um, or, or hear in the ways that they can hear, you know what I mean? Um, so you define yourself as deaf. I wonder what your take and experiences of the notion of deafness is and are and how you think it sort of varies depending on your age where you are in life society upbringing etc what are your thoughts yeah thank you so I guess growing up very separated from any deaf community just engaging with deafness in terms of going to my audiology appointments having audiological equipment at school and trying to hide it in every way I could day-to-day life I would say that I lived a lot of my life lowercase d deaf people might have seen it written down uh, lowercase d forward slash capital d deaf and there's a, a difference between the two so lowercase d is more medical sense of deafness in terms of how I just described just engaging with it in the sense of it being a disability you live with, but capital D deafness, which is something I've come much closer to meeting other deaf people, learning about deaf history, writing my dissertation on deaf writers and and becoming involved with deaf charities and whatnot. Uppercase deafness is more cultural deafness. So emphasis on community, understanding how it kind of sociologically impacts your life, reading into like why we are how we are in kind of, yeah, personal sociological ways. It's something I've really become confident doing. Yeah. So now I consider myself deaf with a capital D and yeah, I guess that also marks the point where I realized what I really want to do with my life, became more comfortable with myself. I jumped from lowercase to uppercase and <laughs> I feel much better for it. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I remember when we when we were was chatting about these differences between lowercase and uppercase, mm-hmm. uh, you referenced the film Sound of Metal, mm-hmm. uh, which actually I watched very recently. Hey, hey. and <laughs> I, I assume you have seen as well. And I wonder what your thoughts on on that interpretation are and also maybe your thoughts on someone who isn't deaf playing the lead role in that film I wonder what your thoughts are on that because Riz Ahmed's fantastic but what are your thoughts on what maybe it says having someone who isn't deaf in the title role I wonder what you think about that yeah I I totally agree I I really like Riz Ahmed he's friends with like this kind of community of creators that I really love one of them includes a deaf poet Raymond Antrobus they're kind of like young up-and-coming actors writers poets and I think they're all really right on politically and stuff and I think Riz Ahmed's been involved in some fantastic films he's portrayed people from minority groups really well and is doing great stuff but I do have to say I wish that it had been a deaf actor just because they're so underrepresented in the industry yeah that I, I have to say that that's how I feel but I do think he was brilliant in the role 
the same. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, yeah. I did have that thought too. I was, and it was one of those yeah. where like, I did get engrossed in the film to an extent that I was like, you know, I really believe that he's struggling here. I know how I can see it, how much his character is struggling with this, mm. coming to terms with this, some, this thing that he's just had thrown on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the end, I had this overwhelming feeling of like, oh, but I want to then bring it back to reality. And I, it would have been nice to bring it back to reality if that person had genuinely been deaf, because then, mm. you know, for that actor or, or actress, whoever, that that's not a performance. It's just how every day is. But I yeah, think no. one thing that the film portrayed really well is so when the character that he plays is becoming interested in getting the cochlear implant and uh, is going to audiological appointments, um, I think that portrays like lowercase medical deafness really well in that the you might have noticed the audiologist didn't really offer any community advice or any assimilating into a deaf community or any Mm. um any kind of cultural understanding of deafness it was very much a medical diagnosis and in america you know a big bill (laughs) yeah and that's Mm. something that i i myself and i know a lot of other young or even old deaf people have experienced audiology appointments and whatnot don't really ensure they don't really provide the information that is culturally important to somebody that like me is kind of trying to be culturally deaf and stuff so for example when I moved to London for uni I wasn't really given any advice on groups I could meet up with or even which hospital to get my hearing aid batteries from Um, I wasn't told about like discounts I could acquire. It's all kind of like a service. I do want to say though that I have a really brilliant audiologist who (laughs) know me. Shout out to Stephen (laughs) at QA Hospital. He's known me since I was diagnosed aged four and has seen me grow up and like always sent me batteries in the post and it's brilliant. But like that's just because I have a good relationship with that one person, you know? I think really the charities and the communities and the online presence and the online groups that you can find of young deaf people, that's where you find out the really valuable stuff that helps you live your life actively, not just get like your hearing aids fixed. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, Yeah. So there is definitely a dissonance between the medical experience of deafness and actually living and being within society, living culturally as a young deaf person. And I think Sound of Metal portrayed that in the scenes with the hospital really well. I was going to say um, it was National Deaf Awareness Week a couple of weeks ago, I think. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think it was because it popped up on my on my Instagram newsfeed. So it must <laughs> be right. I was just wondering, sort of, I didn't know there was a National Deaf Awareness Week, you know, and that's maybe ignorant of me. And probably a lot of people don't know enough and they should know more. Um, I'm wondering, just, just to give people more of an insight, what sort of challenges you have faced from diagnosis at four years old through to 26 and and sort of how those challenges have evolved, changed, got harder, got easier, you know, even taking sort of, you know, hearing aids or or the help that you've had out out of the way, just general things that you've had to deal with as well, I guess, over the years. Well, I guess the main thing for me is just like a a megaton of, of stigma to deal with. I'll kind of briefly touch on deaf history just so you get a bit of context but it's it's laden with stigma and and prejudice and stereotypes I learned 
a lot about it while I was writing my dissertation. And I really recommend if anyone's interested, there's a fantastic book called Seeing Voices by Oliver Sacks. And he did a lot of work with deaf people, was super interested in sign language as like a neurological practice. And it's it's really insightful in terms of deaf history as well. But um, anyway, sign language, the language of hands, it was it had a pretty good start. For like 200 years through to the 1800s, there were loads of schools being opened up all over Europe, all over the Americas. And it was really championed and deaf te- not, not only teaching deaf people how to sign, but teaching deaf people how to, to teach. And then they became the leaders of the schools and they became the innovators and the proponents of, of deaf culture and stuff. But then, as might sound familiar with lots of other colonial historical narratives, The hearing people stepped in, um, and in 1880, there was a historic and awful conference in Milan. It's called the Milan Conference, and I kid you not, I when I was doing research for my dissertation, I went to this now-closed library in the Ear and Nose Institute of UCL and looked for loads of books, and there was this, like, kids' cartoon about the 1880 Milan conference and it was the Milan conference was like a a scary beast ghost figure like it's really reviled in in the deaf world Um, and basically at the Milan conference an entire room full of hearing people decided that sign language should not be taught and instead deaf people should be instructed on how to speak almost like parrots because obviously deaf people can't hear and you know not not just in terms of me I have 40% residual hearing there are people who are on the spectrum of amounts of hearing much more deaf than me and can't hear like anything really and so it wasn't really teaching them how to speak in terms of like conversation on an even keel with the the hearing person it was more like just how to parrot and how to repeat back and not really a language that was the start of the era of oralism o-r-a-l not like (laughs) actually oral oral. Um, let's be very clear listeners (laughs) and then for get your minds out of the gutter for the next hundred years sign language was effectively banned across europe and all of that good work and all of the deaf schools kind of crumbled or were just streamlined into teaching speech, which, as you can imagine, it's like any colonial enterprise, really, completely deprived a culture of their language, of the language that makes the most sense to them. Mm. You know, it's it's horrible. Like that one deaf historian I read described it as a cultural genocide and you might think that's a bit strong but some people really do believe that it was and sign language in Britain it wasn't even officially recognized as a language until 2003 which is ridiculous considering people have been signing since the 1600s at the the latest Mm. you know and there are deaf people alive in the UK today who can remember being told sit on your hands and being hit and punished for signing um it's it's really awful so it's a very deeply ingrained stigma I think that you know if if you look at old text by Shakespeare and and old 
plays and films, often the deaf character is the dumb one or the, the idiot. Or that's still carried in, in sign language today because one of the old, more archaic ways of signing deaf is actually the sign for deaf and dumb as one concept. Mm. So I know that I, being born in 1994, didn't grow up like instinctively knowing this, but it was very much around me. Some members of my Turkish family were ashamed of the fact that I was deaf and that came from that kind of place and it's kind of part of why it's taken me so long to become comfortable with with myself being part of this community Mm. and I think also there's a huge misconception that all deaf people sign like and that all deaf people were born into a, a deaf culture I think I mentioned earlier like a large proportion of deaf people don't have deaf parents And it's not guaranteed that if you're a deaf parent, you're going to have a deaf child. There's a concept called a CODA, C-O-D-A, Child of Deaf Adults. And yeah, there's there's all sorts of different factions of the spectrum of deafness. And, you know, people, just because they're deaf doesn't mean that they sign, doesn't mean that they have access to the communities, doesn't mean that they are secure in their status, you know. Something else that frustrates me is a huge lack of awareness of deafness in public services such as transport like if you know the bus destination changes just one example how are we meant to know <laughs> things like that yeah, um, yeah lack of acceptable subtitling really bothers me there's so many shows that i can't watch like U- uk catfish has just come out right and only one out of four episodes has been subtitled. So thanks, MTV. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a that is a travesty because Catfish is outstanding telly. And <laughs> they're, de- they're, depri- they're depriving you of three hours of absolute gold. So <laughs> no. they get MTV, if you're listening, I know they're listening. Sort it out. <laughs> sort it out. I just want to say as well, like I have requested that this podcast be transcribed because, um, well... For obvious reasons i think talking about lack of access and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah well i guess captioning and transcription is really by, vital by the very so, nature yeah. we're, we're doing a, a podcast which is an yeah. entirely audio medium and we're going to do our very best to as you mm. say transcribe and do it all we can but we are still a very difficult medium for mm. a lot of very deaf people to engage with because yeah. the whole point of a podcast is that you're listening <laughs> so yeah. you know we're aware of that and 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 i Thanks, hope that yeah. we can um in some way help and i know you will help us do that but um definitely yeah i i i wonder you mentioned a couple of books that are really useful for people to read i wonder if there's any other people that you sort of recommend for people to read or read it read into about sort of encouraging or understanding more about what it is to be deaf if, if people don't really know much about this topic yeah mm. so uh the oliver sacks book seeing voices i think is a brilliant condensed but very detailed guide to sign language and the history of sign language culturally as well if you want a really dense and fascinating book there's a book quite aptly called Deafhood by Paddy Ladd he was the man the academic who penned death with a capital D as a notion um, which was like revolutionary and there are lots of great deaf creators as well so I wrote my dissertation on deaf poets and yeah just I grew up loving reading I think because for me I have to say no offense guys but like podcasts are quite hard for me to access because sitting and just listening is 
is is definitely the least easy way for me to process information. Mm. I'm very visual in how I um, interpret the world. I've always preferred reading to listening. I've grown up with subtitles. I can like I can read really fast because of having subtitles on TV all the time. And I really think that's why I grew up loving English because it was the most concrete way of interpreting the world for me because I couldn't be sure that the sounds I was hearing were reliable. And I'm not saying that all deaf people are like highly into literate ways of learning, but often it's visual. I grew up being really interested in reading and books and never knowing of any deaf writers or deaf characters other than, as I mentioned before, like deaf and dumb trope, which is recycled a bit too much. Or there's a character who's a, a deaf mute in that like archaic term in, a, in an American book I liked called The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. But again, he was more just like a vessel for other characters. He wasn't, he didn't have his own formed self it's kind of like the Bechdel test but for disability which is a thing it's called the <laughs> Fry's test by <laughs> Kenny Fry's who's a disability director um, anyway and then all of a sudden there were not just one but two deaf poets on the radar and both of them were up for major prizes so there's an American man called Ilya Kaminsky who's deaf and he, his book Deaf Republic which I bought and read in a sitting and it blew me away Oh, that it's fantastic. I really recommend it. And then there's a British Jamaican man called Raymond Antrobus. His book, The Perseverance, touches on being mixed race and death as well, which resonates strongly with me. And then also the poet Lisa Kelly. So in this year, I came across both of these and was like, wow, there's, there's not just deaf tropes, but deaf writers. Awesome. And then at the South Bank, there was an event it was deaf poets and just the three of the three that I just mentioned. And I couldn't believe it. It was really affirming and inspiring. I went along and I met them afterwards and it was a great event because meeting them, obviously most of the audience were deaf. So it was like a super quiet, calm environment. Everyone could communicate well. Yeah. That must be quite, um, I, I, you know, in a world where, there is a lot of noise in this world now, isn't there? Everyone's got mm. an opinion. Everyone's got something mm. to say. People don't really listen as well as they used to, um, mm. you know, but just by nature of the world we're in. Mm. It must be amazing to go to an event where there is no noise, but yet there's so much happening. That must be totally. quite, and I, I know I'm, I'm not meaning that in a, um, in a, I'm not taking, I'm not taking the mickey. I'm, I'm, I mean, like that must be such a, you know, for, and to feel like you are in a room where everyone understands each other and everyone's, mm. you know, yeah. it must be an amazing experience. And I guess also, so I've got lots of, uh, quite a few friends who've who've started learning uh, BSL just mm. just so they can be more, you know, so they can access that world and be there for people who are. That's their only way of communicating. Yeah, awesome. Because you and know, that's good. And, I, and I will try and learn some as well because I think it's so important. Yeah. <laughs> Preach. Yeah. Shout out to shout out to Grant and Chloe as well. Previous guests on the pod. Oh, yeah. They've shown me some some BSO in the past as well. They've um, Chloe yeah. works in a school where she mentioned in the pod, and she she took it upon herself to learn some sign language for sort of the deaf children in her school to be able to sort of you know not sort of alienate them in lessons, and she was able to communicate with them. So I think it's an incredible thing to have the ability to do and it's, it's, it's a skill that I think everybody should have at least a, 
an understanding yeah, of to a basic level i think everyone yeah. and i think everyone should personally and and maybe you might disagree Bengi, but i think people should just be taught basic bsl in school mm. i think yeah. to be honest I, I, but I certainly at a secondary at a secondary level certainly and you know light travels faster than sound so mm. technically it's the fastest most shit hot language in the world <laughs> no, that's the way that's the it's, way it's, it's, it's it. the lewis hamilton of language it's just zooming it around is. corners apex oh i it love is. that i love that <laughs> i suppose the final thing i i'd like to ask you is on this particular subject is you spoke a little bit about subtitling and adequate subtitling for tv mm. shows and how few and far between that still is even today 2021 that's still not a thing mm. societal attitudes towards being deaf and towards deaf people what's your view on how attitudes still are how they have changed and also what more needs to be done we've touched a little bit on subtitling and we've touched a little bit on sort of the the teaching and the learning of sign language but you know in in your position from from your perspective what more needs to be done and how how has that view shifted in the last few years if you could touch on that well, I think with as with many other issues for minority groups, um, things are getting much better. I, I say in my NDCS presentations that I think now is a really good time to be deaf because of a technology in the sense of improved audiological devices and improved tests and much more discreet uh, devices as well. Like I had hearing aids and radio aids, which is what you wear at primary school with a microphone and shit. I had them in like the late nineties and you can probably imagine the size of <laughs> the Yeah, stuff. like like the it equivalent was not of discreet. It the was equivalent like, of like the mobile phones we used to have, like the exactly. big bricks, like the same. Yeah. The yeah. Same, same and level. nowadays they're honestly tiny. Like it's it's much better in that sense. But also in terms of having um, access to deaf role models and deaf communities online. I didn't really grow up with that. And it, I think it makes such a difference. Um, but at the same time, I think something we have to be careful about, something that lots of deaf activists on Twitter and stuff say, which is, who are much more involved and vocal within the community than myself, is that um, it's quite important. It's, a, it's brilliant that hearing people learn sign language, absolutely vital, but also kind of don't step on the deaf people in their own arenas. I think that that does happen a lot. A lot yeah. of deaf creators are really frustrated by being almost virtue signal devices for people. Um, and Pe- that's People sort of jumping on the, on the bandwagon with, with of, the wrong yeah. intention with the wrong intentions almost to sort of more of a commercialized view than a yeah. sort of genuinely helping these people there make are lots their work. of very well-intentioned but misplaced comments like oh you don't look that deaf or you know <laughs> things like that that I think just if you're really interested in the deaf community and you know deafness with a capital D then converse with those people candidly and openly and let them speak for themselves i wondered sort of how how the pandemic has changed anything for you in the last 12 18 months with your career with with your being part of the deaf community with your social or personal life anything at all i wonder how that's been for you has it been any different than you think it has been for people who aren't in the deaf community in any way well spending so much time 
at home. <laughs> I've hardly had my hearing aids in, which has been such a delight. Uh, if you can imagine, well, if you try to, I don't know what people imagine deaf people's experience of hearing is, but it's not identical to what you guys hear. I, as a hearing aid user, have two microphones that amplify literally everything to the same degree on my ears at all times. So, you know, on a minor level, like scissors are really fucking loud to me, but equally, like, I don't know how loud like my farts are you know what I mean like <laughs> there's loads of there's loads of issues like that <laughs> so it's been it can, and it can also be quite draining trying to interpret all the sound data and and, and just having noise all the time um so I, I really relish the moment I get on the bus after work and just take them out um and it's been lovely being able to do that during the pandemic after say, mm. tuning out quite literally <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I guess in terms of how the pandemic's affected like career ambitions and whatnot I've I was starting to have quite a lot of really positive involvement with the NDCS and I was meant to volunteer I was going to volunteer at a um a week-long residential during a half term but that was cancelled due to the pandemic and I, I can't help but feel that like many other people, I'm sure that the pandemic has kind of interfered a little bit time-wise with my plans because mm. in my head, that was going to be a great stepping stone into getting a job within that sector, working with young deaf children. But alas, it was not to be. Um, but, you know, things take a bit more time in tricky times like this. And yeah, I'm sure I'll get there eventually. You will. We have absolutely <laughs> all the faith in the world. <laughs> and, uh, and and embrace, embrace that you don't know how threatening your farts are because I'm the same. <laughs> I'm the same. I've got no idea. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm at home. I, I very much get told at home, Duncan, that's dreadful. Um, that's loud and very smelly. In public, I got no clue. So. <laughs> like um, love crisis, everybody. Where, classy, classy as always. Classy where, uh, as always. Where, where, where a beautiful conversation can turn to a conversation about farts in the blue of an eye. It's natural. It's a natural. It's a natural process. People embrace it. Yeah, and something else I've come across in my recent foray into into deafness. Uh, is the concept of deaf anxiety, which really makes a lot of sense with me, as deaf anxiety is a distinct, different type of anxiety to hearing people's anxieties. Um, born out of all the stigmas that I've mentioned, uh, internalizing them. So, you know, when, when a deaf person asks for something to be repeated and they're told, oh, it doesn't matter, that can translate into you don't matter and and that really builds up and please please if you're if you're listening and you happen to meet somebody deaf please avoid doing that and please always ensure that the communication is complete because it's just it's just not fair you know to withhold information um mm. and it can really build up um it's a kind of constant FOMO a constant alertness fear of missing something important um yeah, and it, it's a new, a newish idea to me. I've always kind of thought I'm a bit socially anxious and stuff, but I think that a huge part of it is due to my deafness. Um, and speaking to young deaf friends, it resonates with them as well. So I think that's something interesting that people should know about as well, actually. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. And um, are there any, I know you've mentioned a, a couple already, but are there any um, sort of good pages, charities, anywhere we can look that people can go to, to look for information or advice on how to approach deaf people? What's the best ways to, mm. you know, um, make sure communication is good or, or ways that we can help, or, or even if people are just new to the deaf community and, you know, maybe they've, they've lost some hearing over the years, what, what they can do and where they can go. Um, so, NDCS, as I've mentioned before, they're, they're aimed at children, um, but incredibly good springboard for other services. There are so many insightful and interesting and right on people on Twitter and social media that, um, yeah, hopefully we can link you to. You're listening to the Quarter Live Chronicles. Don't forget to like and follow on Instagram and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Cheers, guys. Bengi, thank you so much for being on the Court Life Chronicles this week. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so much for being so open and articulate about everything so far. It's been absolutely brilliant. But as is customary for the Court of Life Chronicles, we are going to launch into our games to do a bit of a Duncan impression from that, a few that, weeks before. You know what I realise? It sounds like catchphrase. You remember that <laughs> catchphrase where they where you get it right? It goes, dum. <laughs> there we go yeah. so that's uh, yeah, isn't it? yeah yeah that's it, that's it. <laughs> so inspired by catchphrase and duncan which is all the quiz shows are available <laughs> which is a sentence i never thought i'd say <laughs> we are going to launch straight into what we call because it's what it's called the league of millennial moaners now what the league of millennial moaners is bengi is you are given around a minute we've not been as strict as i think anybody hoped but you're given around a minute to rant about anything you like anything really small that really gets on your nerves we refer to it as sweating the small stuff sweating the small stuff here in the quarter life chronicles so without further ado bengi what is your contribution to the league of millennial moaners fire away so for me it's got to be when people make snooty comments about things they consider lowbrow and especially reality tv eurovision and pot noodles I think that people think they're coming across as refined or highbrow, but to me, it's just a lame, transparent way to like validate themselves with, quite frankly, very little ammo. <laughs> and I think that often the looking down slant, in all seriousness, is a kind of horrible, insidious class commentary too. But anyway, I get that there are things that we all dislike, but is there any need to pass judgment on those that do like those things? Like, yes, I love unwinding to escapist reality nonsense like Made in Chelsea and Howie, but I also love documentaries and dramas and obscure films. And yes, I'm a gigantic Eurovision fan whose devotion didn't wane even when Turkey pulled out. But it doesn't mean that I don't enjoy numerous other genres of music. And yes, I love hot noodles deeply, but it doesn't mean I've never had pho or ramen. Every single time I've had a pot noodle at work, somebody has publicly, that's the key thing, publicly commented, oh, a pot noodle. I've never had one of those, as if it's impressive. And to those people, I say, you're lost. Variety is the spice of life, and we should not be ashamed to be led by our unmediated by trends and society desires a little more. And as this year's Cypriot Eurovision entry so articulately puts it, 
these so-called low-bow interests are really hotter than sriracha on our bodies. Ta taco tamale. Yeah, that's my mood. All this spicy melts my icy. Thank you. Oh, wow. My <laughs> God. Firstly, that's authentic lyrics. Yeah, firstly, <laughs> if that doesn't make top three of Eurovision, there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, Deux points for Sriracha. Uh, deux points. Deux points. Guys, I can't wait to hear that again. I'm so excited. Do you guys like pot noodles? I am partial See, to a pot, no, See, pot so noodle. I'll explain, yeah. I'll explain why Lyle and myself may possibly be into it. Me and Lyle mm. do quite a bit of touring when we do our acting and a lot of it involves staying the night in a well-known hotel chain that is very very budget won't say Mm. the name won't say the name because everyone knows they all have every room has the same curtains you know what i mean Mm -hmm. right and it runs with schmavel rog Uh, (laughs) that's all i'll say (laughs) great work great work and one of and one of the only meals you can make with a kettle in one of schmavel rog's room (laughs) Is a pot noodle. So give me a Bombay bad boy anytime. <laughs> Any day Absolutely of the week. world class. World- yeah. I'm a beef and tomato gal. Oh, yeah. You know something else I love about them? Even their meat flavor ones are veggie friendly. Yes. Yes. And some people might think that that's like inauthentic Wrong. and, yeah, and, yeah. and lowbrow, but I think great. It's more inclusive. You know what? Look, let the veggies that, in, you know? Let them in. You know, I found out the other day, <laughs> my favorite hula hoops, okay, barbecue beef hula hoops are vegetarian. That wow. was a moment for me, a big moment. <laughs> what I would say though is for those listeners who follow a little known sitcom by the name of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, <laughs> don't attempt what Peralta recommends in the prison episode by leaving some noodles uncooked and sprinkling them on the top for an extra and i quote crispy crunch because guess what in the case of a pot noodle it doesn't give it an extra crispy crunch it just (laughs) ruins the whole experience for you and you've wasted (laughs) whatever the price now is of a pot noodle in its entirety in the in the space of about 30 seconds so uh, top, don't do it top tip by the way to all pot noodle listeners i'm sure bengi will agree never <laughs> never use a fork with a pot noodle use a spoon because then you get all the sauce when you eat the noodles i like drinking the sauce oh yeah and the drinking the and the drink. oh yeah, yeah. no I, I forgot that about is that my favorite point forgot about that you can just go you can just and i love gazing at the naysayers in the staff room over my pot noodles <laughs> while I slurp. <laughs> just extraordinarily brilliant use of the phrase naysayer. Just, <laughs> when just it comes to pot noodles. Downing the pot noodles, staring across at Car- <laughs> staring across at all those Karens in the staff room going <laughs> Hmm. There is actually a current stuff. And I knew <laughs> and, I, and I knew that and I knew that and that's why I said it. <laughs> oh gosh. Not the uh, naysayers, but the nude schnoodlers. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. For so those Karen's listening, we love you. We love Yeah, we love yeah. Ka- we love Karen. We love Karen. That was that was outstanding. Nothing more needs to be said. No, listeners, listeners, you can feel free to rewind and play that again and again and again um and also tune in eurovision this weekend by all means tune in uh, and good luck to james newman flying the flag for the uk Way. anyway enough of my eurovision lovey so finally let's do the quarter life time capsule so imagine bengi you opened this capsule when you are gray and old at uh, 66 or whatever you said it was when you're gonna take your retirement <laughs> and, uh, and these and these three things would really sum up your quarter life years or they would have got you through your or have got you through 
your quarter life years. So we need one essential thing, one luxury thing, one unexpected thing. And when I say thing, it doesn't have to be an item, can be a moment, can be a person, can be an event, can be whatever you like. So, Bengi, what is your essential, what is your luxury, and what is your unexpected items or otherwise for the quarter life time capsule? Go for it. Well, I've got to have a Kindle. <laughs> I really want to have my lovely boyfriend and a few close friends and my strange bizarre item would be a lifelong roll of chorizo that never ends <laughs> <laughs> is that okay that's, am i that's, allowed those things that that's fine so just to clarify your essential item would be a kindle right yes a luxury item <laughs> Would be friends and boyfriend because yeah. they are luxurious. Well, I would, I would like them. Can I have them? No. <laughs> how would, I, how would you I'm... like them? <laughs> well, Dressed as something strange. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to be sixty-six, are they going to be sixty-six too? Okay. Look, I can't. Oh, wow. We can't okay. answer these. We can't answer these kind of deep questions. We We're don't, drifting we don't... into a realm here, which is interesting. Yeah, we can't first do that. of all small tangent you were the first to include the boyfriend within the friends uh quite often it's been one or the other and let's be honest the tally is not strongly in favor of intimate partners up no. to this point it's been often friends so it's good that you've included your boyfriend your your um your romantic liaison has made it in <laughs> but um you can have said friends and boyfriend at whatever age you wish dressed however you like them to be <laughs> carrying any form of anything if it should you so desire they can all just be eating pot noodles just <laughs> <laughs> i think i'd i'd like us all to be the same age yeah that's nice but nice. young yeah I don't know. <laughs> <Don't know. laughs> what's young anymore what is young even so you'd want all your friends and your boyfriend there but you'd also like a time machine my name actually translates in turkish as eternal water so it's like the elixir of life so if we put my name into practice we could all be young again there we go and unexpected would be a whole unstoppable line of chorizo Mm -hmm. yeah so you know when you buy it it's an oval like a a u-shaped thing yeah i still want it in a u but i don't want to ever reach the halfway point <laughs> not even the end just the no, halfway you, know, point. you know when you reach the halfway point of chorizo that it's gonna end soon and it's mm. really tragic so i don't eat i don't eat chorizo anymore but when i did i i have to admit it was one of those things i used to have for breakfast lunch and dinner mm. like i'd have it i'd have scrambled eggs with chorizo i'd have Same. chorizo and pasta for lunch and i have chorizo with whatever i had for dinner just out on the side just sat there in, in this little portion like it was one of those things. You just gouge it, don't you? You just gouge Hopefully. it. I'm going to reveal something. Man used to have chorizo toasties when he was younger. Did they work? No. Did I care? <laughs> also, no. Okay, they were unbelievable. So yeah, I'm. It is a ver- it is a very versatile ingredient. Something that I thought of recently is that probably by the time our generation get old, a lot of us are going to have deafness to some degree because we all use headphones and devices constantly and i can't wait <laughs> no, I'm no, i don't mean it maliciously. you're waiting for the rest of the world to catch up because we've all yeah. self, we've all self-inflicted deafness on ourselves so we <laughs> should we should feel ashamed 
are. But <laughs> seriously, like, it's something that I think will be much more normalized in that way as well. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You guys will all be coming to me for advice on how to fix your hearing aids when you dampen them in the shower. So, mm, there you go. Bear there you go. Mind. <laughs> take your headphones out, guys, and immediately I take my headphones yeah. off. There we go. <laughs> That's me just immediately removing these. Um, but yeah, no, but it's also, really not all bad. Like, there's some perks. Oh, there's definitely some perks too. It's really great. Uh, sometimes not being overwhelmed with sound like yeah 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 really wonderful <laughs> mm, i can imagine <laughs> and you would be the first person i'd come to should i drop my hearing device down the toilet um, yeah, yeah, yeah conversations we've had before so you'd absolutely <laughs> the first person i talk to uh, so thank you um Bengi, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I again, I'm going to speak for you, Lyle. Sorry for speaking for you. Oh, um, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have learned, and we have learned, I think, so much from you over the last hour or so, um, and, and so much about something that, frankly, we should have known more about, and hopefully, not only us but everyone listening will now know more about, thanks to you. So, thank Aww. you for all your honesty and your um, your intellect and your humour, and you and talking about it in such a um relaxed and relatable way that i think um yeah hopefully everyone's gonna i know people will all enjoy and get something from so thank you so much and i hope you've enjoyed yourselves yeah i did thank you my pleasure i'm going to return the favor for for dunks there uh and i can speak for both of us when i say that all over our uh, social media on instagram and also in our show notes as well we'll be uh, liaising to use a word from this pod earlier on we'll be liaising <laughs> with you bengi over uh, the coming days to include links to all sorts of useful resources uh, for those that are affected by what we've discussed today so thank you so much for being so open and for also allowing us to sort of communicate and liaise with you in in getting access to those resources which we'll be putting all over our instagram and our show notes as well so thank you so much thanks for, for letting me chat on and on and on uh, not <laughs> at all. and of course as you said we will get a, a transcript available as well for yeah. everyone who uh, yeah. wants to access the podcast who maybe can't listen to us so we'll get that we'll get that sorted as yeah. well that'll be amazing Bengi, thank you so much. You've been an absolute superstar. It's been such a pleasure to meet you and to speak with you about everything today. So thank you so much. And we'll see you very soon, I'm sure. See you later. Thanks so much, Bengi. See you soon. This has been the Quarter Life Chronicles with Duncan Mitchell and Lyle Fulton. You know the drill. Give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Until next week, thanks for listening.